Hello and welcome to GAA Embedded here on Balls Today with me, Mick McCarthy. Joined once again this week by Morris Brazzo. We're going to look ahead to lots of things. Morris, we're going to talk about uh, the week that was in the, the club championship. There's lots of interesting tidbits to talk about and lots more going on in the wider world of the GAA as well from... Uh, from possibly Billy Sheehan uh, taking over in Leash, from Andy Moran, his first managerial job in Leitrim, which I'm definitely excited to talk about, and uh, lots more as well. Looks looks like uh, more updates on Congress, which is what we love at this time of year. But uh, before we get into that, we were just talking off air uh, earlier on today about um, Cool Derry's great Brian Carroll, 38 years old. He scored 315 in the Offaly Championship. Um, uh, Yes, this weekend, which is just one of those one of those score lines that is just absolutely hilarious straight away. But it got us thinking. We talked obviously last week a lot about um about these guys, these county legends who are still like kind of knocking it over at club level. And this was just this perfect example. But when we were chatting about it, what we actually were talking about was are there certain guys who were born at the wrong time? So these like really great i don't mean people from weaker counties that were always weaker so we've always had the conversations about the declan browns of the world and so on right but what about guys from formerly strong counties or even counties that are going through a dip that happen to have their career during that like i would say brian and shane dooley from offaly are right in there as two great examples two players that would have made an impact and been big players on any offaly team that were winning all irelands for like the guts of 30 years you know and i just thought it was a, like i would definitely have brian carroll as somebody who would fit into that bracket yeah so this is it this goes back to a conversation we had last week in a way mick i think because it's it's about narrative so you you talk about for, say for example the the best way to demonstrate what we're talking about here is by an example so to me the best example of this in a similar vein actually to brian carroll is uh, is michael Meehan, and you to like I've, I said before, I think he's the greatest Galway footballer that I ever saw play. Uh, to, to my mind, he is right up there in the upper echelon. He, he belongs, you know, he should be regarded the same way that Park Joyce is regarded. I, I think, he, you know, a, a county legend, Michael Donnell and Jaff Allen. But uh, Michael Meehan never won an All-Ireland. He actually never won an All-Star, which to me is is absolutely baffling. I always go back to the day he destroyed Kerry in the rain. That, uh, that year of all years, he surely deserved one. But the whole point is that if he had been, you know, only a couple of years previous, he would have got his All Ireland. He would have got the probably the recognition that he deserves. And instead, for a generation within Galway, he probably is still regarded. I do think internally within the county, he is regarded as one of the county's greatest ever footballers because of what they saw him do with Caltra, that great uh, club team. But that's probably not as appreciated, I would say, nationally. And because mm. of that, he. Uh, he kind of, I, I don't know, it's weird to describe Michael Meehan as underappreciated, but he probably no, do you was. Think you, do you think they lose their place in history in a way? And I, I and I think you do that more if you're from a stronger county. So it's all relative. Michael Meehan didn't play on bad, terrible Galway teams. They yeah, weren't yeah. relegated to the equivalent of the Christy Ring Cup like Offaly were. But, you know, they the, the team before had won two All-Irelands. And Michael Donnan and Porrick Joyce and these boys are going down in history as some of the greatest Galway players of all time. Michael Meehan is as good as them, but didn't play on those teams. And you lose your place in history. Whereas, again, not to be like always harping back to Declan Brown, and he's the example that comes to mind. There's obviously there's a guy in every county almost, you know, who played on a weekend. And they almost have their place in history because they got, they're thinking of, when you think of Tipperary football, the struggle through the ages, you think, and Declan Brown was there winning All-Stars and so on. So yeah. forth. These guys don't have that because five years beforehand, you had legends winning All-Ireland, you know? So I think Meaton's a really good example. I think I think there's two things with him that's mixed in is the injuries as well. I think, yeah. I think, I think the, the way injuries kind of interrupted his career and his flow, I think he was somebody who was appreciated nationally. Um, going back to the old days, there was someone that jumps out to me is uh, Jimmy Smith from Clare, the hurler, who's, you know, is regarded. He's one of those people that like, when you talk about, oh, Christy Ring loved Jimmy Smith, you know, that there's that like, he's a <laughs> railway cup legend, you know, but like Clare, obviously, maybe at the time would be thought of as as, as a weaker county. And he was in a way the, the, the Declan Brown figure, but obviously as time progressed and the team of the seventies kind of came and went and had great teams. And then the actual team of the nineties and so on and so forth that had legends that last forever. And then you have this guy who everybody in the County looked up to and seen as the godfather of hurling in the County. And the, the you know, our, you know, he was the beacon. He was the only national figure that, 
dies over time when you when the county goes and has actual success. And to your mind, is he still held in the same regard within the county? Like, I, like I would imagine so. If anybody thought about it, do you know what I mean? But we yeah, don't okay, have to yeah. go back to Jimmy Smith as often now. In in yeah, in, yeah. in 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 the head, so like you know, even the even the team, even the the seventies players, even the likes of like if Jerlock Nan didn't go on to manage the team, would people be talking about him in the same vein? I think they would. I think they'd say he was a great player and so on. But the first people you're going to reach for are the Brian Lowens and the Shawnee McMahons and James O'Connors and David Fitzgerald. Like that's just a that's just a fact because they went and won titles. And there's you know, by the way. Players are involved in teams that win titles as well. We shouldn't dismiss it. It's not a. It, of it, course, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a player's part in a good team is, you know, is not to be dismissed in their achievements. But at the same time, you can't do it on your own either, and you can't do it if you're only one or two. And that's where I think a lot of this falls into. I think of, you know, is like is Benny Coulter someone that fits into this as somebody who like they did play in an All Ireland final, but he was around and he came right after Down's successful era and lasted for an awful long time as their national figure, as their one guy who, you know, who would have, um, who would have kind of got on any team, but Down weren't winning too many matches back then. Yeah. So there's two, it's, there's two, this is a really good topic because there's two separate things going on here. There's the, what you mentioned there, which is a guy who was born in maybe the wrong era or a guy who's, you know, effectively carrying his own, uh, puts a county on his back and starts carrying it, and he develops that regard. So I think you know, even though Benny Coulter might may fall into this category, he still definitely gets the appreciation nationally that he deserves because it, it, he would be kind of synonymous with that that yeah, down team. Cool, yeah. And then on the other side, right, you have like some people will be proposing examples, listening to us right here now, and the two that I think should immediately be disqualified are a lot of people will propose uh, players from the Mayo football team. So you can go back to Kerry McDonald right up to Lee Keegan, and a lot of people will propose. The great Waterford team, you know, I'm sure the people saying John Milan and mm. uh, Dan and you know Ken or all these different list of players that they would rattle off. Now, I think that is that is a much that's a different thing. That's that's a different thing because you could pick, you know, you say oh, Lee Keegan if he was only born in a different era. Like what era are you talking about? Like are we going oh, back I to the fifties? I think, 50s? So. I think Lee Keegan's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So th- yeah. those, those the, the, uh, people who would say oh, you know these players are born wrong. Kieran McDonald, I'm sure a lot of people say that again. I think that we is had, we had a couple of suggestions for Kieran McDonald actually. Now I do understand so, that in a way, in that he wasn't there, he wasn't born in this particular golden era. If if this Mayo team had Kieran McDonald, I think he would have been the he would have yeah, been that yeah. that extra step that would have kicked them onto an All Ireland. But at the same time, he played on decent Mayo teams that made All Ireland finals. I think he played in three All Ireland finals in his career. You know, I can't. They weren't uncompetitive. I don't think you could suggest that he was there at an era where his influence couldn't you know he was able to do enough on a team that was already there to bring them to all Ireland finals I think that surely that discounts it so uh, so that's the that's the first category I was talking about here is where yeah. internally if there was a different era then there's the external era the literal era of player involvement so I often think of somebody like Jamie Clark he's just one example of I think uh several players who were just came along in the wrong era like you know, generationally talented inside forwards who at the same time as they were bursting out of the scene, we saw teams, you know, widespread adopt uh, blanket defences, floating men behind the ball. God knows we gave out about it enough at the time. Uh, what that did to those kind of players and stifle them out of the game. And so they had a really unique skill set, like an exceptionally unique skill set that we never actually got to see. At, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like we saw, nobody would say uh, Jimmy Clark wasn't a good player or he didn't, reach its potential but we didn't get to see it uh as for over a sustained period because of the undue pressure that were put on players like that so and you know that's i mean this was often said this players came just before that era and you know people often wonder what would have happened if they'd came slightly later like someone like colin cooper like, would colin cooper have ever have survived in that whatever you, it's probably not a 10-year window at, at most it's maybe a five to eight year window where this was the tried and trusted top of the majority of teams in the county but because of that you get a, a player like that who like I you know are you saying yeah, Jamie Clark you'd have to bring him back to an year like 2002 and maybe then would he have been held in the same regard as you know Ushie McConville maybe but at, at the same time I just think that those players were playing football in an era that didn't suit them and that works conversely as well you know there's players who played uh, the, I watch old games I think so, there's certain players that you think would still survive in the modern era the, Maybe they'd still be same same way appreciated though. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I completely see what you're coming from. Like, the, the, yeah, the styles don't suit it. But it was funny when you did mention Kerry and you mentioned Gooch. I did think almost back to the to, to the less. Uh, I'm obviously not jumping into this in, in as deep a way as you are in terms of uh, when, when they were able to play, but more just kind of like the quality of teams they were on. Yeah, yeah. Does Morris Fitzgerald fit into this? I know he won his All-Ireland, and because he won his All-Ireland, and then a couple of years later had like probably the most famous football moment of all time. So it's, it is hard to say because... You know, a guy goes and wins in All-Ireland and it's synonymous with just that one name. It's hard to say he played on weaker counties. But he also did have a long career beforehand where Kerry were absolute muck. Yeah, this like this this is probably one of the most topical debates in Kerry, you know, over the last 20 years is what, like, was Morris Fitzgerald underappreciated? Was, more to the point, was he underutilised? You know, was this... Could he have been starting as more frequently uh, in yeah. later stages of his career? I I, I kind of think he doesn't. So what he you get a Cavan semi final and he just destroys them single handedly. The onus was on him to do that. And does a does a carry player excel in the same way if he was playing? You know, if if could, does Mark for sure have a license to do that? Exactly. Yeah. So like, yeah. if he's surrounded, if he comes along uh, ten years later, let's say he, you know, you start him in there in this. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it up to two thousand and nine, if you want, and we'll say we'll start him in, and so you got you know Paul Galvin, Declan Sullivan, Morris Fitzgerald, Colin Cooper, Kieran Donnelly, Tommy Walsh. Like, does does Morris Fitzgerald have the license <laughs> to, to to be uh, not selfish? Is obviously the wrong word, but is there the yeah. same onus on him to carry the team in the same way? And if there isn't the same onus on him to carry the team in the same way, does he um, stand out as much as he did when he had that expectation on him? Yeah, but is he also kind of that guy who could win a game on his own on any given day and is still seen as one of the greats, but also has six All-Ireland medals? I think he might be discounted by the fact that even though he probably was there at the wrong time in general, he lifted them and was around long enough for Kerry to start winning All-Irelands again and has two to his name. One player from Kerry, actually, because Kerry don't have a big window, of a time when you were like if you were there's only about five years you could have been born in in you know the 20th or 21st century where you were born at the wrong time for Kerry but uh Connie Murphy I believe might be the only Kerry all-star to never win in All-Ireland I could be wrong about that stat people can correct me if I am but he won an all-star in 1989 and I think he might be the only ever player from Kerry to win to, that has an all-star but doesn't have an All-Ireland medal and that just says everything yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. again, you might not have known it because it might be not true, Morris. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this is the problem with doing all of a sudden um, uh, topics at the start of a show. <laughs> Before we move on, somebody has a really good one here that I actually, again, it's it's worthy of a debate because our made-up rules here uh, change things. But somebody says you don't even have to um, um, faithful facts, uh, which is a great name for an awfully uh, Twitter account, says don't even have to look outside the county. Uh, this is from Brian Carroll. Niall McNamee. Niall McNamee wanted footballer for what for some amount of time. A lot of similarities actually there with uh with um with Carroll. But again, because Offaly had great teams, does every good player from Offaly qualify? Or is Niall McNamee like this kind of national figure on a weaker county? It is hard to it's hard to put your finger on it. But I think it may be it may be a team that had the Connors and won all Ireland's, even if it was 40 years ago you probably are in the wrong era there you know yeah i mentioned i watched uh road play i thought sorry i didn't watch road. i watched the highlights on tg carrier last week and within five minutes uh uh McAbee gave just this uh, you know he ignored a mark played on uh through a dummy solo hand pass ball across the box for a goal it was just a, a, a sensational skill and about five minutes later uh a ball went right in front of him and he didn't bend his back tried to flick it up like you know the Typical corner forwards to just yeah. flick it up to him. Ball missed, went up, uh, was intercepted, went up the other end, and they scored. And I was thinking, you know, mercurial talents like that don't get the same leash if they aren't playing for slightly weaker counties. You know, they're given mm-hmm. that there, there's, there's a bit more freedom to express yourself in that sort of system. Whereas if you are playing, like, do, do you do that in an All Ireland winning team? Do, yeah. do you have the, mm-hmm. the same ability? Now, I, like, people will say that's, you know, that's not to take away from Noimak because he's such a, a joy in himself. And I think he's appreciated for what he is. You know, the, uh, uh, how many times were we celebrating him in the early rounds of the Leicester Championship this summer, for example, or even in the mm-hmm. league? 
that, that yeah. so he's he's appreciated for standing out for, for what he is. So I, I don't know if that disqualifies him, but he might not be in the same category as uh, as somebody like Michael Meehan, for example. Yeah, I know what you're saying as well. Like there's a there's an element of like uh, Damien Duff could do it at Blackburn, but when he went to Chelsea, Mourinho put the shackles on him and exactly he yeah, yeah, yeah. player almost yeah. yeah. So you play at that higher level, you're not allowed to do as much. Um, okay, so we've got a few there. There's other other messages come in saying Kieran McDonald. We've already talked about somebody else saying Jamie Clark, who you obviously mentioned as a as a really good example there. I'm sure there are more. I'm trying to go around. Like I'm trying to think of any current players that are there. Daniel Flynn jumps to mind for me from Kildare. He's just, yeah, that's he's just a great one. one yeah. players I'm very, very excited about watching whenever I see him. And I just, it's always a pity to me that Claire, Kildare just aren't like that. They're good sides. They're a decent side. They're always knocking around Division 1 and 2. But if they were just that notch higher, would Daniel Flynn be a superstar? You know, um, so there's always plenty of, um, there's plenty of uh, guys out there at the moment. Anyone else from current that you kind of can think of before we move on? Yeah. Uh... We'll get, we'll get people really. to, to message in anyway. We might come back to it next week. Yeah, so like a lot of people are going to start suggesting, just, you know, people are going to start suggesting hurt, great hurlers who'd never won their All-Ireland. I mentioned the Waterford. There's a couple of Galway ones as well. Damien Hayes, Austin Stations, or, or, or Ollie Canning. But the, the whole point is that, you know, if you transfer them to a, a different era, do they excel in the same way? You know, like if Damien Hayes is playing in the... the all Ireland winning team does he stand out alongside Mannion, Joe, Connor, uh, Whelan? You know, to, to, to the same extent. I think they're they're slightly. These are these are the nuances that have to be considered when you. Yeah, uh, possibly. Into, Ollie Canning's yeah. not a bad shout, though. I have to say, you know, that wasn't the, the the strongest Galway team for most of the time he was there, and he's winning four all all stars from corner back on a team that never uh, won All Ireland. I'm trying to think. Is there like this this current Kerry team that haven't won uh, an All Ireland? Like you know, I often think of somebody like Will. Um, I was I was going to say you know would we appreciate Paul Murphy, but he obviously was involved in 2014. But I wonder is there is there going to be a like this is the conversation that is going to start cropping up around. The, I don't want to put this hex on them, but you know there's mm. a there's a generation here of generationally talented carry footballers who if they don't win an Ireland in the next year or two, suddenly it's going to become like the Joe Canning conversation all over again. Yeah. And, uh, now I still but I, I don't I still think they, they don't they don't qualify by the way because I do think they will be appreciated. Uh, certainly in the moment as being you know some of the best yeah. footballers we've ever seen and also because if we're talking about seven or eight really great footballers then if they're that great they should act like that's enough yeah, people yeah. that should be able to if they're good enough then you know you they can't all be great and born at the wrong time at the same this time is like you the know what I mean? conversation. you're yeah, talking yeah. about guys who are sort of on their own or with one or two others um and then you know before and after them the minute the, the right before they broke onto the team you know like there's how many guys came onto the Kerry team like Morris Fitzgerald in 1986 you know what I mean but how many of them were Morris Fitzgerald yeah you know yeah. very few like you know and that's the problem that was the you know that's the exact problem but Morris Fitz I actually think the more I think about it Morris Fitz defines this because even though he might not have stood out in the way he was right Morris Fitz was literally came on to the Kerry team in 1986 and by 19 by 2000 when they started being like they won it in 97 because of him right but in 2000 when they started being the best team in the country again and would be for another 10 years right he was finished I know we played in 01 and all this but Think about that, like you know what I mean. He he literally defines it. He was the face of Kerry football in their worst ever era. Oh, you won't, you won't find too many arguments for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I, I you have to work out these things as we go along. Anyway, we'll move on. I think to uh, like a, a really exciting club weekend. I think because without going into kind of the specifics of too many of the games, like it sort of had everything you want, didn't it? Like it's. I was kind of buzzing thinking about Monday about the different strands of a weekend like this, and it's you know it's nearly a shame we don't have enough time to appreciate it. Like you start with a headline, say example the county final up in Antrim, a lot of people watch this game on TG Carter, Dunloy. Uh, like I, I, you know, Shortish Seals. I remember when he stood down from uh, Intercounty a couple of years ago, and Antrim people like I, I remember Sambo Nocton bemoaning the fact that they were going to be missing out on this guy who uh, had struggled with you know I think he had two hip operations one on either hip he was only 29 when he left uh, Intercounty said he wanted whatever he had left he wanted to give to his club which I think is a sentiment we all appreciated it's kind of reminded me a small bit I was actually thinking of him I'm talking about Paul Trillis here by the way uh, I was thinking of him when Brendan Maher uh, retired for Tipperary as well and this kind of idea that the club is a special place so he played in 2007 won a uh, county final that year missed 2009 because of injury He's now won three in a row in the last three years. He's so experienced at winning uh, county titles, Mick, that he knew to take the, the lid off the trophy before he lifted it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> if anybody saw that clip on a TG Carr, you watch the game afterwards and, you know, 
I saw a video. They were paraded on the main street, right? And um, they had a marching band, like full, whatever instruments, the whole type of thing. I'm sure they were very good musically, but you couldn't hear a single yeah. thing because the team was <laughs> up the back of a, a cement lorry, and the cement lorry just beeping constantly. So all you could hear is you know, flares going off all sides, horns. It was just, it was brilliant to see. It's to me that looked like, you know, uh, not to cast an art affair. That looked like a team celebrating not only this. Uh, county final success but last year's which they actually couldn't celebrate at the yeah. time that the fact that they had this kind of phenomenal outpouring and we've we've you know how many times have we spoken how brilliant it is to see like a Corrigan Park packed out game wasn't you know it was it's pretty one-sided at the end of the day but from an Antrim Harding perspective you look at uh, Ryan Elliott the young Antrim goalkeeper Sean Elliott in full forward uh, she is isn't going nowhere but you know th- as well as that now there's definitely a, a new crop there Antrim Harding yeah. is on the cusp yeah. of something I think and that's very exciting but then Hopefully. you start this Exactly, yeah. And, you know, you start just looking down the list and looking around the county and everywhere you look, there's like genuinely fascinating storylines unfolding. Mm-hmm. You, you go down to Kerry and you look at Sean O'Shea, we're going to, you know, talk about people shooting the lights out. He scored 13 points for you know, the, the Kerry Championship. The way that has been blown yeah. open this year is kind of phenomenal. You know, at one side, you've got Legion or Crows getting relegated. Your teams like Temple No, just recently promoted, going strong, Ken Mare. Uh, Stefano Kumbar, by all accounts, I, I, I'm surprised now. I, I haven't seen any uh, reports of how he went, but you know, my sources are telling me he looked very good for Nagal when he came back at the weekend. Uh, we spoke small bit about him last weekend. Yeah, I think that's one to, to definitely yeah, show for. Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's he's back home now. You know, he a lot of what he the last time he played for Nagal, he actually I was talking to him a couple of months ago about this. Tw- Christmas 2019, he was allowed to go home. Geelong said you can go home, and he asked him, "Can I have permission to play for my club in a seven aside tournament, sort of Stevens A tournament?" And Geelong said, "Look, at you can play." Um, does it, we have this wave around insurance just in case you get injured and you have to play in goals, right? You're not allowed to play a field, play in goals, seven-side tournament. So in fairness, he did play in goals, but he also scored seven goals in the same tournament. So <laughs> that's the scope that, that's the scope this guy has for <laughs> for Kerry. So um, th- just to see him back, I think, it, it, as I said last week, I think that's uh, an exciting development and it might take a year or two, but I definitely think there's something there. But And then you look at, just across the county, you know, we last week, how we were cascading like the idea of legends playing well in club GA, and you mentioned Brian Carroll, like Patrick Horgan scored 213, county win by a point. I was like, Tullerone played Clara in, in extra time. You know, this is the nip and tuck game, goes to extra time. Who comes up and hits a goal for Tullerone, Tommy Walsh, which is just unbelievable. You look across in, in the other games, Owen Arkin is still playing Ireland. Yeah. Ireland. No matter where you look, there's just, there's unbelievably entertaining storylines. And I think, you know, we, like we could easily spend the next three hours talking about it. We're going to have to put a cap on this because mm. no matter where you look, there's something that you can say, Jesus, but wasn't that fascinating? You look in, I was watching the, the uh, looking at highlights on Twitter this weekend and you look at, uh, I, I, I sent it on to you, Keelan Sexton, uh, you know, shooting the lights yeah. out. There's these random clips that just always prop up around this time of the year that always, you find some little moment of joy in this stuff. These games, some of them weren't even televised and yet you still see just, and I suppose, you know, maybe it's good. To, it's a good thing that we can kind of see them more and more now because you start to appreciate the level these guys are operating at. Definitely, yeah. There's definitely a lot more exposure, and it is worth it this time of year. It's good to be kind of like uh, following uh, local accounts and local uh, papers and radio stations and stuff, and you get to see a lot of these clips um, before they're sort of shared around. But yeah, look, I'll, look, I'll take you mentioning uh, a bit of magic from Keenan Sexton on the show anytime. You know what I mean? That that sort of you know. So, so speaking of somebody who doesn't get enough national uh, appreciation as yeah like as there's a number of those clear lads they don't qualify for the earlier conversation <laughs> because they're in a good they're in the best era of it but uh um that hand pass though that he did people might you know they might they might have seen it they might not have but it was it was something that you've been talking about as something that's coming into the game as this new kind of bit of magic that we're seeing in, in football at yeah, the moment it's funny like i don't know is it what it is about this skill that we like do we always appreciate like the ability people often you say this about the Dublin team their ability to hand pass left and right hand and it seemed like a bit kind of cliched and what does that actually mean but like for example right I interviewed Brian Stein's uh, James brother over here in Melbourne that's where he lives and so in 94 uh, Brian's playing for the Melbourne Demons uh, goes plays in the VFA doesn't work out goes home to play for Dublin goes into Dublin and begins to realize that like, you know, this big, loopy, slow hand pass. He doesn't really understand why Dublin are doing it. It's slowing down the way they move the ball. So suddenly he starts trying to coach up the team that he's going to play in midfield. And sure, we know, like, that Dublin team won their All-Ireland in 95. They probably should have won more. But all he wanted to do was players coming, turning off his shoulder. He's giving hand passes, quick, accurate ball, the way they work the ball up the field. Uh, within a couple of years, he goes in and coaches Marks. They're a Division Three t- St. Marks in Dublin. They're, at the time, they were a Division Three team. They went up to Division One, uh, went on to have unbelievable success in... The, the Dublin Club Championship. This is 
same thing you want them to do this you know this is football. a lot of quick mobile footballers who can move the ball very quickly you know a lot of it by the hand uh in 2005 he moves back out to australia his brother jim says introducing to kevin sheedy who was the coach of the international rules team they australia were hockeyed by ireland in 2004 absolutely hockeyed and kevin sheedy sat down with brian stein and said write me out a game plan that'll beat ireland write it out for me here so brian stein's pen and paper wrote out his notes this is what i did with marks this is the type of hand passing we're going to do is forget about coaching this team to kick uh an o'neill's ball they've they've never seen one before we're going to forget about picking all australian players which they've done for the years previously pick players who are suited to what we want to play which is mobile quick uh players who are capable hand passers 2005 they absolutely destroy ireland in every sense now it has to be said <laughs> just put the, the destroyed ireland same thing again in, in 2006 and then you look at the players who come back from australia this obviously it's a huge skill here is that the handball over here Conor McKenna's hand pass this year, I mean, like we were waxing lyrically after the Ireland final. He, it doesn't seem to look. The fact that he can not only, you know, making a pass like that without looking is exceptional, but a pass of that distance without looking, to have the trust to know I can make this pass mm. without having to bank it. So last year, I don't know if you remember this, um, the Mayo, in the Mayo Championship, uh, the Brafey game when against Balladurine, and there was this clip that went uh, Irish viral, which was a long kick out to Keen Hanley, who's just back from Brisbane, obviously Pierce Hanley's younger brother. And he gave a hand pass to Andy Morn. And I mean, it's not it's not only the fact that yards, he, I'd say, was it? But it's, it's it's not only the distance that he passed, mm. it's it's also the accuracy. And this Jeez, goes to yeah. the second one as well. It's one of those, it's a hand pass that lobs like beautifully and lands perfectly. Because you know those if you if you like fire rifle that. Uh, a fullback could get a hand in if if you know if Sexton hits that hard, there's a guy standing in front of him, so it needs to it needs to kind of float and lob. It's nearly like one of those you know like Paul Scholes esque passes that kind of floats and lands perfectly for the player. It, it, it's not you know it's not this direct quick ball that uh, Brian Steins was talking, but it's nearly even it's a step beyond that. But it's it's only when you see it in action that you realize, oh yeah, that actually isn't a skill that is every single player can execute. And when it's done uh, properly, it can be so brutally mm. effective. Yeah, the Sexton one this weekend. I think if people see it, like it's there's an added extra element of difficulty and bamboozling for the defenders in that it just looked like he was lining himself up for a, a shot and changed the direction of the ball by passing it over for, for a goal chance. So even that, I, I think you're, the overall point is, for me anyway, is that like we see hand passing as almost this thing that's detrimental to skill in football it's, yeah, it's become because like it is the simple now. thing and there's too much of it in the game and so on and so forth and booting the ball was what you know the skill of Gaelic football is but <laughs> as everything it evolves and it evolves over time and it's becoming more and more and we've just given you three examples that are only from the last 12 months one of them was in the All-Ireland final um, of where that skill is becoming a bigger and bigger weapon all the time because it isn't just this fundamental rudimentary thing that every single player can do like everything it has levels and it has levels of difficulty and it has levels of impact yeah and one thing i've noticed about conor mckenna is not only like is he capable of making that pass he's capable of making it off left or right which you know again is like yeah it's you say it out loud and it sounds nearly elementary you know it sounds like oh well that, you know this is basics but the fact is it's not basics you know players being able to execute off left and right like if players could execute off left or right could have had two goals in the first for the Ireland final, but they weren't because they took chances. Players weren't capable of taking that chance on the left foot, and that's you know, as 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 simple as it is, it's also true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was the club weekend. There is more going on in the uh, in the world of GA as well. Um, you, it's not unusual for Leash to go after a Kerry man. Um, in fact, I think Billy Sheen might be the third in a row uh to, to to come in there and take the job um obviously Miko has been in there before as well what do you think of this i so we go back to what we said last week about what is it that Galway need at this moment and we're about to talk about leash and leech right now and you take the context of that at the time and i think this is a really good appointment i think they're both um leash hasn't been confirmed yet leech not confirmed anymore and it looks like it looks like it's a formality that Pelagine is going to get the leash role but what you're looking for is uh uh, a knowledgeable coach who will give a team a bounce, a team who have been uh, not mired in negatively, but you know, I, I've a huge amount of sympathy for what Michael Clark had to endure because of COVID, and I think that was a significant disruptor for his reign. Uh, at the same time, you know, the way it finished was—I um, can't imagine it was uh, satisfactory for anybody involved. 
and what so you bring in somebody like this and you're leeching the way same with your hockey boy Mayo and half the county was talking about you know this was a conversation a conversation after that game was the fact that A the game didn't sell out which was pretty surprising B we need uh, provincial championship perform surprise surprise so I, I think what you're looking for with these kind of appointments is a, a knowledgeable coach to come in just give that kind of bounce give that uh, air of positivity and that's you know in both contexts I think they've nailed that in terms of ticking off that box yeah it's funny though I uh, like the Andy Moran thing is there's a part of me that doesn't understand it for him from his point of view. I don't know. There's experience to be gained, absolutely, and there's but there's so much work to go into something that has got so few possibilities in its return. And I don't mean that in any disrespect. I mean it in the system that we have. And look, maybe that system is all gonna be thrown out the window and Andy Moran's gonna be at the forefront of uh, you know, the the incredible tier two or whatever it is that we're going to end up with and Leitrim are going to be competitive. But considering the conversation we had around Leitrim in the in the Connacht Championship this year and how it dominated the entire week because there was no point in having that as a game of football, I just question from the manager's point of view as a, this is your first job, this is the one that's going to lay your reputation be you wanting the Mayo job in the future or whatever it might be. And at the same time, sometimes I just think I, I possibly overthink these things and these guys just see an opportunity and they say, Grand, that sounds like a, I want to be involved in teams and uh, this is a good one for me. It's a county team and let's give it a go and we have a bit of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I, well, actually, first, I do agree with that. But secondly, just on what you said there, I don't, I don't want to... If I could just go off on a small tangent here for a second, Mick, I don't Ghost want to... I don't, I don't want to. I don't, don't, I don't want to keep bringing this up, right? I don't want to keep bringing this up. But just on the the proposal B that's going ahead in Congress, I does, so partly I love to hear the counter arguments against proposal B because partly I'm currently actually you know for uh, we were planning on discussing this and you go and you look for people to challenge on this to debate it because it's good to hear alternative views and there's so little of them. There's so little alternative views out there. The main two are Jim McGuinness and. Brian McAvoy, who've been in the media plenty over the last uh, week. Otherwise, you know, I, I was severely, um, he's a f- fabulous journalist, good article, but I was uh, i was severely unsettled by the fact that a, a, a provincial chairman was quoted in the Sunday Independent by, in a Democrat article at the weekend, and he wasn't named. So it was a, he, he gave a quote coming up against it, but he wasn't named. Like, to my mind, we need to know, this is what, going back to why we need to know how people are voting in Congress. And we need to know who is coming out against this and we need to develop into arguments. Mm. So I think that is very important. Now, an argument that has been put forward a lot against proposal B is because it doesn't do enough for the weaker counties. So this has been, we've heard this a lot that the Talton yeah. Cap won't get the, Talton Cup, sorry, won't yeah. get the attention it deserves um, that we're locking them off, that there's no chance of progressing. Now, you take Andy Moran and Leitrim, right? And you offer them two options for next year. Let's just this, you know, they're probably one of the weakest counties uh, in the country based off their form last year. So let's we'll offer them two uh, options. So option A is what they faced this year, which is they're going into a, a Division Four league. What are they going to do for a Division Four league in 2022 when you've got Tipperary and Cavan down there uh, next year? So there's no, there's there, you know, if they're realistic, there's very little chances of promotion in a Division Four league campaign. At the best, you're looking to develop that. What are you developing for to get absolutely hockeyed by Galway or Mayo in the open round of the Connacht Championship next year? And that's their 2022 in a nutshell, right? Alternatively, you offer them option B. And option B for Leitrim next year is a provincial championship which won't carry the same weight, which will have, the, uh, they still get four games. They get the opportunity to develop. He'll get an opportunity to get to lower know his squad learn then you go into it the height of summer and you give them seven competitive championship games and at the end of those seven championship games you they obviously aim for to be the best they can be they aim for uh division four that's unlikely but even though it isn't uh, unlikely you give them the opportunity to develop momentum in a talchon cup where they might be playing teams of a similar level and they could suddenly they feel like there's a sense of progress where we have something to aim for we have realistic expectations out of this summer and so it's so blatantly Option B is so much more preferable for the um, so-called weaker counties. Yeah. You, you give them the, the, the opportunity to progress. Games, these counties are always crying out for games. How many times are we hearing that one of the biggest problems is that they lose in the open round of the championship. Everyone wants to go off to the States for, this, uh, for the summer. Why are players even holding on? Why would you stay around if you're only going to play one or two games at the start of the year and then you're gone? This gives them a full calendar, a, full, a calendar full of games, competitive games with realistic goals all the way along. I cannot see for the life of me how people can argue this doesn't, this isn't in the interest of weaker counties. Yeah, 
all sport is going to have teams that are unlikely to win but you don't want this for them to be impossible to win not the, not the main competition anyway so look we've had this argument for years why not have levels just to remind everybody in case they missed uh last week or they haven't been paying attention and these things can get thrown around as proposal b proposal a so on and so forth proposal b in its most simplest form is to flip the uh calendar Plot so and yeah. uh, we could talk again about where teams fall into knockouts and how that works and that might be where this falls down to be honest because that's where some of the fear is um but in its most simplest form you have the provincial championship where the league is currently and then you have what is the league basically now as the championship which goes into playoffs and preliminary quarterfinals and so on and so forth the biggest actually just just while i'm on this because and, and i see your point there about leitrim and i presume that's kind of like to andy moran's point that he will be looking at like that's leitrim's best hope so therefore it's also andy moran's best hope at the moment but just yeah. on the um on the, the issue there i saw a lot of people complaining look maybe option b is the best of a bad bunch but you know but if you don't finish if you finish sixth of eight in division one you're out of the championship right if you finish yeah. in the top five you go through to what's the quarterfinals uh but if you obviously if you finish top of division two or three you stay in there's there's, there's ways and means to kind of stay in the championship if you're if you're from a if you're from a lower division which is great you know whatever there's a lot of conversation saying, oh, it, it, it's that that punishes the better teams. I don't understand why. I've seen people in Mayo, nothing to do with Mayo, not picking them out. I just happen to have seen the example, okay? Saying, if Mayo finished sixth in Division One, it's not fair they're out of the championship if Kildare are still in it having won Division Two. They're playing at a higher level. They've had harder matches. For me, Kildare will then have to play those teams that have already beaten Mayo. And Mayo, who you're only in a competition to win it, you're not in it to make a certain point, they'll have had seven games to make top five of an eight-team tournament. If you're not good enough to do that, then why should you progress? I, I get the point that you've earned your way into a higher level and you have to play more difficult games, but you also don't have the same... level. You don't have the same... Um, uh, degree of difficulty in terms of what you have to achieve within your division to stay in it. See, Do you see what, what I, my point? I don't really understand yeah. the argument. I, I I think this is this is so this is possibly one of the most important things to, to come out of this format because you've touched on something that has has been discussed a lot over the last two weeks. And why not so, just start with the eight teams and just have quarterfinals and not bother with anything else if everybody should be in it just because they're already in Division One? Sorry, well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So for, for those who aren't aware, as Mick has mentioned, this is a, we're talking about a, a flip, what they're calling it this flip model. So it's a league-based championship, and but the provincial championships become a round-robin, which we'll have earlier in the year. Leinster will be split in two. Everyone is going to get uh, still a full calendar of games. They won't carry the same weight. They get, didn't carry much weight at the minute anyway because they're all, three of them were formalities. So that, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. That's you know boxed off. Now, the thing about the, the league is that you've got the top five teams in... Um, Division one, three teams in Division two, top team in Division three and four get into a preliminary quarterfinal. So the counter argument is that a lot of people will say, "Look at um, Division one is the best teams you're playing against the best opposition. Everybody wants to be in Division one. It primes you to be in the championship." I I actually, if I was honest, I kind of like the idea. Uh, Kieran Shannon is the only one I've seen proposing this that instead of having a Division one and two, you have a one A and one B, kind of like the league, mm. and just pick the top four from and four from each, and they go into a a quarterfinal. I think that might be a slightly fair proposal. At the same time, look at like, you know, everybody wants to be in Division 1 because you're competing against elite level teams and if you can't finish in top 5, do you necessarily deserve to be there anyway? I agree with that as well. However, I would just stress for anybody who is using this as an argument against the voting for proposal B or that these are amendments that can happen if we adopt the best structure. We've got three options in yeah. this in the special congress, right? We've got three options. You've got uh, option A, which is nonsense, which is redrawing the provincial boundaries. A, A, A. Apparently, everyone get a fair calendar, but you're just moving weaker counties across. All you're doing is you're moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. To my mind, uh, option B is the one we've just discussed. Option C is the status quo. Now, a lot of I've it's been proposed by it has been said by journalists who seem to know, who know a lot more than I do, who would be a lot more attuned that uh, there's scope for option B to be knocked back with the idea that we can get these amendments further down the line. So I saw. Uh, Damien Lawler from Morty things uh, seem to suggest that uh, the most likely candidate is that they go for C with scope to amend I saw uh, Michael Foley I heard him speak on second captains recently and he said something similar he thinks that it might even be the February Congress where we will see um, uh, a new proposal for, for an amendment I would stress right maybe I'm more cynical than, than, than they are uh, perhaps that's true but I would just stress 
the Victory Review Committee that came up with these proposals, that was first pr uh, proposed, it was first suggested in 2017. So we're talking about nearly four, uh, four, four years ago. In 2017, this was first proposed. They first met in 2018. 2019, uh, there's a Club Players Association, which is now no longer around. They walked off it because they weren't happy with the, the way it was conducted. They, pro they proposed amendments at the end of 2019. Where, so that was two years ago. And 2021, we we're going to enact them. So if you think that we're going to come up with a better proposal in February or next year or mm. in two years on the line, if you revert to the status quo, I, I just see there's absolutely zero scope for that, especially given the fact that this is a special Congress. So you need less. There's, it, there's less delegates here. There's less votes. So if there's less votes, there's less scope for this to get over the line. Yeah. So to, yeah. to my mind, the, the, the GA's history, what we know from Congress across history is that if they come with something as radical as a uh, new championship structure, it's going to get voted down. This is a, I think this is a golden window. I really think this is a golden window. I, I I agree, to be honest, if, if I'm honest, I do agree that there's scope for improvements within this provincial structure. I absolutely agree with that. I think maybe to satisfy the quells about the provincial championship, for example, if you finish top of the provincial championships, why don't we give those teams extra home games, for example, or maybe even just a point, an extra point when they go into this league structure. I think there's scope yeah. to do that sort of stuff down the line. But these are improvements that can be made after we adopt the best uh, option on the table. The I really, really hope there, yeah. we adopt the option B to do that. That's a, that's a great politician's speech for you there, Mark. That was real. <laughs> you called the action there. Uh, my biggest hope, honestly, though, is like if it's voted down, I like uh, there's kind of all kinds of special interests that could vote down something. But honestly, if it's something as simple as, oh, well, we don't want to finish seventh in Division One and be knocked out of the championship because what's the point of that? Where it's not fair that somebody else is still in it. Like that will really annoy me because not only is it uh, this sense of entitlement because you're, you are you don't feel like you have to win matches to stay in the championship, which is bananas. But uh, the, the other part of it is though, there's not, we need to have a, we need to have some jeopardy all the way through the competition yeah, or else exactly, nobody's yeah. going to watch it. How often are we in this position where if everything is just building up towards quarterfinals and almost every team is going to be in it, you know, that are, that have a chance and was a, those matches won't matter. And it's so important that championship ma matches will continue to matter. And if we need to have jeopardy, we need to have a game between Donegal and Kerry or something like that, where the loser is knocked out and it's before the knockout championships. And that's going to, for the viewer, for the public, for everybody watching, that's what we need. We need to have at least one or two of those games that really matter early-ish in the championship, you know, and not this, we'll find our form along the way. You know, it's like uh, Dublin, you know, we're only really training for the last three games where we'll do enough because we don't actually have to do all that much, you know. So that would be my big concern. But you're so right in what you say. Let's get it. Let's get it over the line. Let's change the fundamental structure, and all the tweaking can be done after that. They tweak the championship all the time, anyway. Yeah, and like I said, Mick, like the arguments against this. As I said, I'm, I'm I will listen to anybody who wants arguments. I think some people have made very good uh, arguments against it, but too many of the arguments against this are are totally disingenuous to my mind. It's it's either people not engaging with it or deliberately misconstruing what we're proposing. So say, for example, the Irish Independent this, this morning has published an article against um, Marion Breton has an article against uh, Proposal B. And one of his lines in it is he thinks it's it's illogical to have a 10-team championship. And he keeps repeating this line that it's a 10-team championship. Now, as you have so well laid out there, this is not a 10-team championship. He is It's so disingenuous to say this is a 10-team championship. He's picking the top five teams from Division 1, three teams from Division 2, the top team from Division 3 and 4, and saying that was 10 teams go on to play in the championship mm -hmm. in championship games already at the start this is a championship base the league yeah. is based around championship games this will be paid with championship intensity to well, get into a a, a, a quarterfinal to, to say that to, say, to my mind to say that is as disingenuous to say that, that we go into the hurling where only six teams are playing in the championship by playing the um yeah. Munster league and the the Leinster league it's i, I just i think that argument is uh, as i said there's de there's definitely criticisms that can be made of this but that stuff is uh, is nonsense to my mind but that's so often the case in like you take it from all the way from politics to sport or whatever, like anything like this, anything that is political, right? It's like it's a narrative creation there. So if people are writing about this in, in opposition to it to say that it's not the championship until that last 10, then it actually won't be. It's self-fulfilling. You know what I mean? It, it, it Like the, the competition won't matter in the way it could. Whereas if we approach this as the championship starts on that first game of the league, the league, whatever the whatever the language they're going to use, then that's the championship, and it it literally is as simple as that. It depends on what way you approach yeah, it. You're, you know? you're probably right. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, maybe um, it is. Like that's that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it is the like I know I keep saying the league even, and I know like people have connotations with groups. The, the, we should probably be calling yeah. it or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's yeah, round, that's round robin. Point. You know, whatever it might be. You know, we we don't think of the Munster and Leinster hurling championship uh, round robins as not the championship. <laughs> you yeah, know, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, right, okay. I think that's enough on that. The other thing, actually, that we should we just should briefly briefly talk about is the GPA have backed this, right? So a lot of that analysis, I wonder. You know, in these things, you have to hear from a lot of people. You have to hear from a lot of people who how they're going to vote and so on and so forth. You can be a couple of days behind in your vote count in a way. You know what I mean? It's a very normal thing for these these guys like Damien Lawler or whoever who are so on top of this stuff. It's unbelievable. I would trust them completely. But I will trust what they say on the weekend of Congress rather than a couple of weeks out. You know, yeah, of course. GPA yeah. have come and backed this. And I wonder how much that's going to matter. And it's also they opened up like loads of conversations during the week to things like Friday Night Lights, which the GPA have been against in the past and have been like, and, and I've always understood why. I've always thought that there's, you know, this, this assumption that we should just make players do things, you know, because uh, that, that have to go to work and all. I always thought it was terrible. But look, if they're open to it, I'm definitely exactly. open to it. If the GPA are coming forward with it, I'm thinking this is the greatest idea of all time. Yeah, exactly. Like that's. I mean, I, you hit the nail in the head there. My, I, I was always people. I think um, we talked about it on um, on a, the old podcast about, uh, and I was adamantly against the idea of uh, fighting against because players had been vocally opposed to it at the time. But if players are endorsing it, I think that just gives us so much more scope for. Again, I keep going back to this. We have such a fabulous opportunity. Like, can you imagine how exciting it would be to have Friday, Saturday, so, uh, Sunday? genuinely competitive games one of the biggest complaints during the league is that there's too many games going on you know a saturday night and we don't we don't get to see how entertaining those are so if you spread those out you could have a you know the ga could dominate these four months and that's another thing about this make as well that there should be stressed under the proposal b you've got two months of the provincial um league we'll call it the provincial league yeah, at the, the start of it. oh, the, oh sorry the, the first league yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then the, the round robin championship it's four months of the summer. It's four months of, of the summer before we're going to get that. So you could, th- that could be a you know competitive four months of dominant games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think that would be absolutely wonderful. Added yeah. in on top of it. What always tends to happen is that hurling is wonderfully entertaining this time of the year. We're always complaining about Gaelic football. Gaelic football comes in towards the end. Now we could have like a four, four months of just jam-packed action. You know, who... who as I said, I can't I, wait I, to I, hear how much you're going to come. If, if it does get through, and please, like, you know, let's say, let's say we hope with those fingers crossed. I'm giving you a month before you start preemptively complaining about the Sunday game coverage um, <laughs> and the TV deal and how we're not getting enough. So uh, let's let's hope they throw in, they have a bit of a think about what their TV uh, deal strategy is going forward as well. <laughs> but let's get a pass first. Look, you'll be back uh, talking about this. I, I, I'm... Um, I'm might or might not be here uh be here next week but i think you're gonna do some stuff on the head of congress um uh yeah my, my my dates are awaiting i will be missing for some time uh people uh i may as well just say what this is instead of being really cryptic uh my wife is due a baby very soon so i'll be taking some weeks off but morris will be in the hot seat so i may or may not be here next week we'll see how that goes but before we go morris we have one more uh suggestion about uh players who were born at the wrong time from uh dara on twitter who uh lists a couple of dublin players from i kind of understand where he's coming from here kind of from the pillar era kieran whelan shane ryan mossy quinn i would say shane ryan no in a way is that shane ryan was a very good footballer who had one or like had one or two like really good years for dublin like where he was a star but won an all-star and i think that's kind of you know i think maybe that that was about the level for mossy Possibly, and Kieran Whelan, you probably like. I'd say he's the he's the guarantee one there, isn't he? Like that, if he he would have fit into those those other Dublin teams that before or after he he just missed an All Ireland in '95, and he was finished in 2009, I think. So he's one year off the other All Ireland. That might define what we're talking about here. You know, Kieran Whelan would have been in the team. It's again, it's not whether you're a star or not or such. It's just that whether you were you came along at the wrong time. I feel like Kieran Whelan would have been in any Dublin team. But he missed the he missed the great team in the nineties, and then he missed the great team in the twenty tens. Yeah. So, so do you th- would do you see a possibility that if Mossy Quinn was in the modern Dublin team, could we hold Mossy Quinn in the same regard? Let's say you put him in and like in the, this awe inspiring 
all dominant, yeah. all singing, all dancing Dublin team. Is there scope that we would, he would be regarded nationally in the same uh, echelon as uh, Paul Mannion, Bernard Brogan, or maybe a, a tier below that slightly, like, well, not a tier below, but you know what I mean? Like, no, I think, I think, I think, I think for me anyway, I think Massey would have been on a level with Dean Rock. He would have been the free taker. And I think he would have been that player who, when you go and see Dublin, you're like, Jesus, I always only think of Dean Rock as the free taker, but actually he's after getting one, two here and he's the most dangerous forward today. You know, like this, I think that's, I think that's where Massey would fit in this Dublin team. This is, this is another, look, this is a debate we'll have again, but this, like, this, this is something you mentioned the Brian Carroll thing earlier today about what he scored. I, 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 I don't want to dwell on this for too long. Now let's do it. Let's do it. This is a conversation about freeze that actually was on our running order. I just, we were going a little bit late, so I decided to skip it. You've brought it up now. We're going to finish the show with it. We've got five minutes. So Dean Rock, an often an often criticism of the Dean Rock gets too often to my mind is that he's just a free taker in this Dublin team, which is just, I mean, <laughs> like I, I, I honestly, I, I, like, pardon me, kind of doesn't want to engage with this. So you mentioned uh, Brian Carroll scoring three fifteen. It's funny when you look. There's a reply to that tweet, and someone says, "Oh, there were two soft goals." And I was like, "What are two soft goals?" Like, so I went and looked it up, and the first one was a penalty. And you said, "Oh, you know, like I see why he makes that argument." The second one, he scored a, <laughs> he scored a goal from a free, which isn't <laughs> isn't an easy thing to do. Don't know how that's a soft one, but it still means yeah. that he scored one four from play. Like, I don't know what you're accounting for that. <laughs> and then you also have this. It's like it's an asterisk that you know. On the plus side, he scored three fifteen. But on the minus side, a lot of it was for, was for, you know set pieces. Does does it really count? Like uh, what else did he do besides that? I just I don't understand this. Patrick Horgan is another one who scored two thirteen. Yeah, the, the Sean O'Shea one is a good example. Like I, I can I can see some of the scope for that argument, but it's just so baffling to me that frees are assumed to be some sort of formality that don't necessarily that there's no skill involved in it. That it's just you know it's regarded as oh, it should, look is he didn't he it, didn't he do well to knock over those couple of frees? Somebody else would have done if he wasn't there. <laughs> so. You have more opportunity. I think that's important to bring up. Like so, but but actually, all the top scorers, like, are going to be free takers. You know, and it's just you see three fifteen. You know, there's frees involved there. There's no way <laughs> he wasn't taking the free. So I think that, and it's still an astonishing score. Do you remember, like, I think when uh, Horgan got his three ten against Kilkenny a couple of years ago. Oh, final, yeah. I think it was like. Ah, uh, yeah, but he only got 3-1 from play or something like that. And I was like, 3-1 is like uh, an unbelievable score. It's like it's performance of the season. But also, I remember that game. A couple of those frees were unbelievable. You know, and that's where you have to consider it is like you get extra chances. You get the penalty. You get so on and so forth. But, you know, very often these lads are winning those frees. And then secondly, it's like, you know, they standing up to do them. And I think when, you know, when you see a free taker not there, um, you kind of see what they've done because there, there's a reason that these guys are on the freeze. There's a reason it's so much pressure on them. And I don't think it ever should be discounted. Uh, I also think, I was, I was just saying to you beforehand without going into it, but the Claire Hurler, Colin Ryan, who you were doing stuff with this summer, right? When I was at the 2013, he would have been one of those players that a lot of fans in a very kind of a glib way would say, um, you know, he's just a free taker, you know, like yeah, that yeah. they're carrying, you know, when you're carrying a player a little bit. And I remember that, that game in 2013, the All-Ireland semi-final against Limerick, which I would argue, I don't know if he'd agree, was his best game that I've seen him in for Clare anyway, right? And got Clare to an All-Ireland final. And he did it in two ways that day because he did it in a way of, um, of uh, having one of his best games in open play that I can remember. He was just brilliant. He won an awful lot of possession. He used an awful lot of possession, and he got a couple of scores as well. But then also, on a day when Declan Hannon was missing freeze on the other side, and really, I mean, it was it absolutely crippled Limerick on the day. Colin hit everything. He hit. I think he might have hit ten frees that day. And you like you could say, oh, ten. Like his his score probably came up as twelve points. 10 frees, you know, in con and you'd read it in the paper and you're like, ah, yeah, sure. Like Claire probably dominated. They won a lot of frees. He was hitting them from everywhere and they were missing on the other end. And it won Claire the match and got them to an all Ireland final. And I was thinking to myself, like he was man the match that day. And I was sitting there watching that game and there's no doubt in my mind he was. I don't remember if he won it or not. I don't think he did. But you have to take each performance like that on its own merits as well. And sometimes there is bigger pressure than others. That's an All-Ireland semi-final as well, let's not forget, you know. And I think the fact that we just dismiss the idea that hitting 10 frees over the course of a game, football or hurling, is this easy freebie that you get that doesn't really count. Oh, we really only got two points. 
yeah, yeah. it's such bollocks so a couple of years ago i asked um i wrote about this last year about uh dean rock for dublin and uh we asked stephen rochford do you mind who's the most important player for dublin and he said it was dean rock and a lot of people would point to conor Callan or brian fenton or stephen cooks and i imagine at the time but uh, one thing on that is that when you have a free taker like that psychologically the damage it does to another team where you know if you make a, the smallest mistake like the smallest yeah. fall, there's no scope for yeah. error because he's going to punish you like he is actually going to punish you and I think uh, ironically Mayo suffered when killing the, you, look we always knew this was going to happen you weren't going to appreciate killing Connor's absence when he's actually injured but Mayo suffered because they didn't have that same sort of jeopardy that opposing defenders knew you know mm-hmm. there's a 50-50 chance even if I foul him here the scope that Ryan Runner who might miss this, that Dar uh McCain might might miss this, this this free. And so that you know, it influences all like like rest assured, Mick, like this is you know, you speak to intercounty players and there are certain teams they will tactically foul against. They will and they will deliberately tactically foul maybe in uh out in your sidelines to give free takers to psych them out because they know their mentality might be brittle. And if they missed first one or two, it could lead to a very slippery slope, and that'll have the, all the impact as the the game wears on. Now, the other side of this, I've actually used this case. This summer, there's going to be, we're going to have an all-star, or sorry, this winter, um, summer in here in Australia, winter over there, we're going to have an all-star debate about um, who gets in and who doesn't get in. And I, I've seen a lot of people use the case that Sean O'Shea has to get in because he's the top scorer uh, in the championship. So so he has to get in. Now, I, I, I think in those circumstances, context is very important. So like, who's the top scorer from play this year? It's uh, Darren McCurry. From McCurry's perspective, if if it comes down to a straight shootout between Paddy Clifford and Sean O'Shea, I think uh, Paddy Clifford should get the onus there. Because in the, the context I'm talking about here, the chips were down for Kerry. There was two times when the chips were down for Kerry this year. One was the 20, whatever it was, a 20-minute spell in the first half against Cork when things were going against them. And the other was in the extra time in Tyrone when things were going against them. And both times the man who instigated the comeback was uh, Paddy Clifford. Whether it was his score, that amazing score, he won the ball inside his own half and drove. Even though he, you know, he'd been well matched by Moyer all that game, but he still was like, constantly plugging away, constantly trying. Like I, I Even though uh, Deshaun O'Shea scored nine points against Tyrone, but uh, he missed the free well. end, but... Uh, one of them was from play, but yeah. I would give I I give Potty Hamsey I think Potty Hamsey marshaled him very well that day. I would give him the edge. Where I think uh, in in those kind of circumstances, so I guess I would kind of use it against him that you know when people keep saying he's a top scorer, I would I would use the case. Well, you know, t- technically, <laughs> a lot of that was from freeze if you look at it from play. But then at the same time, you look at it from play, and I still think he's like is he third? I think it might be uh, McCurry. Darren McHale because he scored all those uh, shot the lights out against Sligo Sean O'Shea David Clifford I think something like that is the in, in and around that I think is the top scorers from yeah. play so he still he still is well up there but the the, 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 the blanket look at his top score in that circumstance I probably would use the context yeah but I mean it wasn't all from play you know like so I, I could see this is a sword I'll use both ways but it's because you can't judge it on the box score it, you exactly, have to take yeah. into account yeah. how he did so I don't think he had a very good game against Tyrone. I did think he had a very good game. I, I think he had a very good season up until that. Yeah, but yeah. you're judging it on. Do you know what he was hitting over the freeze? It's a point for him. But if you're looking at his overall total, you can't just throw it in there with Darren McCurry, who wasn't taking any freeze. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, look, there's there's nuance to this. Yeah, like, absolutely. There's nuance to this stuff as well. Like, like, and you know, you, like you, you can get down into the real nitty and talk about like you know shot efficiency. I think I used um uh. I, I'm going back a couple of years here. 2019, I think I said to Colin McShane, David Clifford should get it over Colin McShane because they were of a similar level, but McShane's volume of freeze was massive, but they actually weren't that accurate. He'd missed a huge amount of freeze that year, whereas Clifford, so, you know, you can get it right into the nitty gritty. Yeah. And uh, I will rest assured, I am as capable to cherry pick stuff to suit a narrative as, as anybody. So I'm sure I've done it in the past and I'll do it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are we saying Mossy Quinn then? Yeah. He's getting I into think so, our, yeah. our I, team I, I, I think he's nearly at the wrong the, time. Yeah, I think he's nearly the like the perfect example of exactly what we're talking about here. Whereas yeah. if he'd just come across a couple of years later, he could have um, not realised his true friendship, but certainly been more celebrated. There you go, Massey, you're in. You you and Kieran Whelan are the two dubs on the team along with uh, <laughs> Brian Carroll. It's a hurling football hybrid team. You play one half of each. Brian Carroll and Shane Dooley are in there. Jimmy Smith. We're, we're very short in defenders. Ollie Canning is, is holding the fort by himself at the minute. Michael Meehan, and Ollie <laughs> Canning. And uh, I can't do... Uh, did we say Benny Coulter and Jamie Clark? Right, okay. So we'll <laughs> get a few more in. Where Kieran McDonald's not allowed in, but Morris Fitzgerald is. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of attacking talent on this team. We need some backs. 
okay that's it for this week uh we'll be back hopefully uh well we'll be back one way or another but possibly without me next week but uh enjoy the gea uh, week to come and that includes uh what's bound to be a lot of twists and turns in managerial merry-go-rounds and uh everything else as well um that comes with a gea week but uh, enjoy it and talk to you next week mars cheers mick